Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Alistair, and I bring the sex appeal. And I'm Sam, and you'll love my energy. <laughs> I bring a special something. Yeah. <laughs> um, welcome to Hula La. Welcome to Hula La, episode 14, I believe. Good lord, we are churning our way through episode 14. I'm also really sorry for this accent that's burst out of me. It's all Benoit Blanc. He's taken over my whole life and personality recently. It is very Benoit. You started doing it and I was so confused, but now that you've um, mentioned Benoit Blanca, it's all making sense. I hope I hope it does. I'm I'm really sorry for it. It's a, everything I say now is a is a Benoit impression. I, I everything <laughs> that happens in my life, I'm like, my God. You're gonna start and you'll be like, I feel like now hold the on. episode a Doctor Who is so peculiar with the way that the man goes into the box. <laughs> so you're telling me this man goes into the into the box and is bigger on the inside? Makes no damn sense. <laughs> compels me though. Well, Alice, I'm really excited to dive into today's episode. It's one of our topic episodes mm. and we're looking at Doctor Who memories with merchandise, experiences we've been to, things we grew up with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot to talk about. Yes, we're talking about the kind of expanded world of Doctor Who beyond the show, the things that happen in the mm-hmm. real world that help us connect with our favourite obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, it's actually so funny at work today. Uh, someone said to me, they were like, Sam, what's your favourite TV show? Other than Doctor Who. Like it's did, now... Did, did, not Doctor Who. <laughs> Literally, I, I, I was such a Doctor Who kid. Like I was just, I was known, known and proud as the Doctor Who kid of my class. And... I kind of quote unquote grew out of that slash was forced out that phase, loosely using the word phase. Uh, and I had so much time where I would not <laughs> like, I just wouldn't want people to identify me as that. And then in more recent years, I've sort of reclaimed it for myself. And I'm like, yes, I am a Doctor Who fan. I'm proud. Yes, you have. Yes, mm. you have. And I'm glad you did. I don't think I ever gave up on it. So I think we can say that I'm the real fan. Um, no, I'm kidding. Well, I was very lucky to grow up in a school where everyone was the Doctor Who kid. Um, I came in on a kind of Monday morning and the first thing we'd talk about is last week's Doctor Who and I had at least a handful of people who were all very into it together. So that was really nice. We would all kind of go through what we thought of last week. There was once, I missed one, I missed um, I think maybe the, the Satan Pit or mm. is it called the Impossible Planet? I think it is. Whichever one of them came first. Yeah, the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. Yeah, I missed it and I remember someone tried to describe an ood to me. And they were like, oh, I missed it. Oh, damn. Like, like the, the TARDIS vanishes, it falls down a cliff, and there's an alien with an octopus face. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't even imagine what that's like. I need to see that. Um, this is pre-iPlayer, so I don't know how you caught up with that. Like, when we were kids, there wasn't much... I mean, we'll dive into it more, but there wasn't much physical media like, i don't know about you but i was very like limited as to internet time i did not get to go on the internet much it was when we were still paying for like dial-up mm. and so if you didn't see it on tv genuinely the only time i would see pictures of doctor who would be in the radio times like that was mm-hmm. the only time i'd get to see pictures of doctor like i remember in the when it, when it was i think world war three seeing a tiny little like image of the saturday night tv picture of a slovene and i was like oh my god Thing. Oh my god. Well, let's dive in. Let's talk about us and our background with this because we're two pretty nerdy boys. Anyone who's been listening to more than one of these episodes or even the start of this one, probably <laughs> you might have guessed by now. Yeah. So I yeah. think we've both got what I would call the collecting itch and what others might call mm-hmm. an obsessive personality type. <laughs> we do what i think of as kind of like almost an ancient biological human need to to just to gather to collect things to get trinkets to keep them in Mm -hmm. our little what would have been caves and i've got all sorts of stuff yeah no i've got i mean you and me we're both 
I, me and Alice sort of met in our like early adulthood and we realized that we both have such similar interests and things like we're both obsessed with Lego as a kid and I mean again we'll dive into it more later Doctor Who action figures were my real passion and it's something that I I just had like a museum in my bedroom my bedroom was basically a Doctor Who museum at some point literally if you had a bigger house it would be it would be a true museum if we just got you a few nice cabinets. I think about this sometimes. I genuinely think I'm like, my poor like boyfriend, if I get a big house, we're going to have a room that is like the exhibition hall. Exhibition hall A, that's what this whole room is going to be. And it's going to oh, be where yeah. I display everything. We have two very patient boyfriends. <laughs> we don't share them yet. No, we have two <laughs> two very patient boyfriends individually, not two each. Not two each. But we are uh, we're very lucky that they find this endearing, mm. and well, they tell us they do. We'll see if that ever wears off. We had a bit of a theory here that there could be, we fear, a biological link as well. In that, I discovered oh, yeah. recently that my granddad collects tiny teacups. You've got a few collectors in your family as well. I do. I always knew. So my dad, he he loves collecting. He collects um, different types of antique glassware. Uh, and my uncle collects stamps. So I genuinely think there's something in my genealogy where I have like the need to collect and have like a full set of something. Yeah, my mum loves vases as well. And like mm. a lot of them, I counted them once. There's like 20, 30 vases she owns. Mm. And and your the granddad that collects teacups is your mum's dad, isn't it? Exactly. It's in it's in the it's in the genes. It's in the genes. It's in the genes. So kick us off. You're gonna teach us a little bit about the history around classic merch. Yes, so I thought it'd be a good place to start off by looking back at the history of classic Doctor Who merchandise. Obviously, we have much more of a link to New Who and the more recent merchandise. Well, I say more recent, it's really like the noughties, which is the better part of 20 years ago. Ah! <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, I want to have a quick look back at classic Doctor Who merchandise now. Now, as we know, Doctor Who started in 1963 with William Hartnell at the lead of the show. And so Doctor Who merchandise really started to come into the scene in 1964, sort of heading towards Christmas of the next year. They sort of realised what a smash hit the show was becoming very quickly and they tried to sort of roll out the merch. So the first sort of things that came out around Christmas was some Doctor Who board games uh, featuring obviously William Hartnell as the Doctor. There were games like Dodge the Daleks, the Dalek Oracle, the Dalek Shooting Game, Daleks The Great Escape. Are you seeing a theme here? Alistair. I'm seeing a theme. I think they learned very early on. I mean, they're a really lucky episode too. We need to do an episode of the history of the show at some point, but the show very nearly didn't make it off the ground. I think the Daleks were really a big part of keeping it there. So I understand why it's a very easily marketable thing. It's really visual. And on the line of Daleks, one of the things that came out Christmas that year was a Dalek costume from Scorpion Automotive. And this has been described to be the holy grail of BBC authorised Doctor Who merchandise. <laughs> Reason being is that it's incredibly rare to get one because they went out in production for Christmas. They sold quite a lot that year. Uh, but then the factory that made them had a big fire, which destroyed all of the items they hadn't sold. But as well as the injection molds that would make parts of the costumes so they could then never recreate the costumes and oh. I, I, I sent Alistair a photo of this before we started recording it yeah. actually is so cool <laughs> like it's hefty you, it's not bad it's not like if you got this as a kid it's basically like a sort of plastic Dalek helmet as you can imagine the helmet looks with like a body bit with a plunger and an arm and then the sort of Dalek skirt is fabric that's sort of being draped down it, if I was a kid in the 60s and I got that if I was a kid in the 2000s and I got that I would be so chuffed it's very decent. It's very nicely sculpted. And also what's quite jarring about this is that obviously this being from 1964, it's quite weird to see a costume in colour. Mm -hmm. I'm like, huh? Yeah, no, and exactly. And it's got like the, the, blue, the blue dome and the... 
yeah, blue exterior is quite, it's quite weird. There's a couple things, and I find this a lot looking at other merch they released at the time where the colours aren't quite matched to the programmes. I think the plunger is like yellow or something. And I just find it funny. They just use what they had because obviously at the time you'd watch it on TV once and then that would be it. So you would really be left as a kid with the memories of the costumes and toys that you had rather than the episode. We'll talk a bit more about cards later when we talk about the cards that we played with. But the first and only Doctor Who card game that came around before Battles in Time was the Doctor Who collectible card game. And this was from 1996, which I think is interesting because then since Battles in Time, we've had so many different types of card games. But really before that, there was only that one set. Was that linked to the TV movie? I think they released it around the same time as kind of a merchandising push. It was mainly focusing on classic Doctor Who, but obviously it was the same year as the movie. So I think it was really to get audiences talking about Doctor Who again and get the buzz. So obviously, as I mentioned, we grew up in the noughties and we have so many thoughts about the books and the toys that came out around our era. But there was obviously a whole plethora of books and action figures and toys that came out for the generations that grew up watching classic Who. So the company Target used to publish Doctor Who books, not the same Target that uh, the shopping centre in America, but the publishing company Target used to release Doctor Who serial books of the episodes and these sort of went all the way through sort of the 70s, 80s, I think maybe even into the 90s and they would have gorgeous illustrated covers for each episode and I remember when I was a kid I think me and my dad had bought this great big box full of Doctor Who books of these classic stories and I would read them and I hadn't seen the episodes and this was how I would find out what was happening in those classic episodes Um, and I think in the great purge of 2000 and like I don't know 14 or whenever I learned to drive Mm. I think I sold them all but um, I had I really wish I'd kept it a paperback copy of the Unearthly Child book and um, I think that would have been so I don't think it's particularly valuable I just think it's such an interesting piece of Who history and um, it's such a nice little book that is nice Target still releases some books so I've got some on my shelf that are Target books actually Mm. there's the recent books that Stephen Moffat wrote um, and Rusty Davies wrote one as well so Stephen Moffat did a novelization of The Day of the Doctor and um, Rusty Davies did a novelization of rose and those are published by target as well there's still other ones that are still being published by target now Mm, i keep seeing really really lovely fan covers for different target books in the same kind of style of these old books uh for obviously like jodie whittaker episodes and matt smith and peter capaldi and all that yeah so obviously action figures are a huge thing growing up i know that lots of people look at star wars action figures and talk about those growing up in the 80s but doc 2 did not fall short in providing action figures for their viewers yeah i was gonna say that the thing that stands out to me when i think of kind of nerdy collectible merch it's the 1980s Star Wars figures Mm -hmm. that I think of. I remember actually an ex-girlfriend's dad had a big collection of really properly vintage Star Wars action figures and they were pretty valuable and you get them all in the cupboard but um, Mm. yeah that's my like go-to thought when I think of nerdy collector's merch completely and there's a really interesting show uh, on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us and they talk each episode about a different toy from history that really like grew a generation and the very first episode I think is about Star Wars toys because you're completely right like that is what so many people think of it's so iconic so iconic so Doctor Who had a very similar line of toys actually to the Star Wars toys but before that the company Dennis Fisher made figures for the show in the mid 70s now these are kind of the same scale as like Barbie Action Man those kind of figures and they had the fourth Doctor Leela K9 the giant robot a Cyberman a Dalek and the TARDIS those figures now if they're mint they can sell up to £600 so they're becoming quite the collector's item good lord good lord but Dapol is probably the best known company that made Doctor Who figures for the classic era now their license ran from 1988 to 2001 the 
the BBC declined to renew it in 2002. I do wonder if that was because I think it was 2003 or potentially 2004 that they announced they were going to be doing the revival of the show. So I wonder if they then were deciding to go with different distributors of their figures because DAP, although they are loved and they have become collector's items in themselves, they were notoriously known for creating flawed action figures. <laughs> There's quite a few funny slip ups. They made loads of different figures for Doctor Who, but the faults did have like, they released a TARDIS console that had five sides instead of six. They painted K9 green. They released one fourth Doctor figure and he wasn't wearing his hat and he also wasn't wearing a scarf. So it's just Tom Baker in like a suit. Come on, the scarf is an obvious scarf one. Scarf is an obvious one. And uh, the figure they had for Patrick Troughton was just to the wrong scale. It was th- a different size to all of the other figures and they didn't notice. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. But I do think that then leading towards the 2005 release of the revival of the show, that was when the BBC really started to home in on different distributors that they could use for their merchandise, which we shall lead into talking about action figures and collectibles that we grew up with. Yes, please. Character options. You are much more of an action figure collector than me. I didn't collect any of these growing up, but I came over to yours recently <laughs> and you started gently laying them all out in order on the floor for me. It was one of the most wholesome <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. Oh my God. And kind of one by one, you placed them all so delicately as if like, look, look at all my toys. And they were, they were fabulous. I had to sit down with you and we, um, we had to look through some of them. I have this funny preference for, um, I mean, action figures aren't massively my thing, but I think the ones that are like inorganic things like metal monsters Mm. all look really, really cool. I'm not so into kind of like people with like flesh tones on their skin. I always find them, I find them a little bit creepy because Mm. they they always look just a little off. I don't know. What, What do you love about them? What appeals to you? I love, I, so many things, so many things. So when I was a kid, I think my collection grew up to about 200 Doctor Who action figures. Oh my Um, God. I literally was collecting them from the day they were being released. In this five inch scale, Character Options first released the Dalek Battle Packs, which was a pack that either had the Ninth Doctor or Rose with a very harsh yellow paint um, and two remote controlled Daleks. But I finally managed to get those as well. And I... I love physical things that you can play with. And my real passions are stop motion animation and model making. And I genuinely think that that grew from me having an old camcorder that my granddad gave me and having my Doctor Who figures out and doing little stop motions with them. And then I started to really fantasize about figures that weren't released yet. So I actually, this is so sad. I used to, as a kid, write letters to character options with ideas for new action figures. I need to, when I go home next, I need to try and dig these letters out of a cupboard somewhere. But I used to be like, oh, I've had a really great idea for this action figure or this one or this one. I would customize the figures. If I had spares, I would then use clay and paint and I would customize them to be new characters or be in new outfits and be how I wanted them. That's very sweet. Oh, the other thing, I mean, I wasn't so into action figures, but I, you know, like I said, I'm I'm so into Lego, I'm so into toys. I wrote letters to <laughs> an email, not a letter. This was a little later in time. <laughs> I'm tech savvy. I sent an email to uh, the model maker at Legoland and asked him a bunch of questions. Best day of my life. They then wrote back and invited me to come and have a tour of their model making factory. So I oh got to go in. Oh my God. Yeah, there was this guy and he um, he was like in charge of the model making factory and he showed me where they were like gluing all the things together and he took me into, this was the best bit, the Lego warehouse at the back of the park where all of the bricks are stored. Like, you know, 
ridiculously high and gave me like a little bag and let me fill it up with any bricks I wanted with my sister. Best day of my life. Oh my God, that's amazing. I would have died as a kid. That's amazing. Insane. Insane. We're I both mean, just two, we're two little weirdos. We're just two little weirdos. Um, I, I can impress this on you as much as I can. I don't think that you can understand the chokehold that Doctor Who had on me as a kid when it came to merchandise. I think I can. I think when you say you had around 200 figures, I think I'm getting a, a pretty good idea. Yeah, I did. I did. And um, I work, so I work in TV now as you know and I I can publicly say this now because the show has come out I worked on a show called Litvinenko uh, in 2021 I was the production secretary for it um, with David Tennant yeah which, which stars David Tennant as Alexander Litvinenko um, and he shot with us for a couple of weeks and I got to meet him and then work with him for a bit and I it felt like I was meeting royalty it felt like I was meeting the queen um, <laughs> I show my line producer a photo of me. Uh, I was, I, I think she sort of forgot how young I am in comparison to a lot of people that work in the industry. And um, I was talking about David Tennant saying how much I loved him growing up and how I used to have all of this merch and stuff. And she kind of was like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. And I showed her a photo of me very clearly as a child wearing a pajama top with David Tennant from series three. So he'd already been the doctor <laughs> for a while by that point. And she just looked at it and she was like, Oh. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, oh wow. Oh. Oh sure. But I I refrained from telling her about how many action figures I had. I know that you didn't collect them as much as I did, so I don't want to hang on it too long, but some of the things that I collected, and I would love to know if the listeners collected these as well, um the micro universe figures, I loved those. You'd basically get a mystery pack of I think 3 or 5 where you knew what one of the figures was going to be. They were maybe like an inch tall and they came out around the time of like series 3. So you'd get some figures in there that you weren't sure what you were going to get and you'd get a little tar a spinner with them and I remember when Woolworth shut I my dad went and they'd reduced all of the sets to 50p each so he bought I think 30 of them and we sat down just like as a whole family one day opening all the sets to see if we could make like a full set of them I loved there were these character building figures that were basically like knockoff of Lego I don't know if you ever got those they were more recent they were like Matt Smith era Oh, no, off-brand Lego. I was never going to buy that. <laughs> but it was no, Doctor Who. It was, was a official child. Doctor Who. I used to love it. it I, they had little TARDIS that you could build. I sadly don't have any of the actual Lego. Since then, Doctor Who has partnered with like Lego as a brand and they've released um, a TARDIS playset where you have like Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi. Just the one. Just, uh, just the one. I, no, I remember the ones you thought. I think even then, I, it felt it felt to me like knockoff because I was such a Lego hardcore fan. Purist. Like, anything else, like mega, mega blocks or anything else. Yeah, being a purist, it didn't feel mm-hmm. right. So I... I would never have bought, I think. No, I know. Um, that's that's <laughs> a non Lego, Lego E product. Oh, I love it, though. I love it. Um, I loved the Sonic screwdrivers, all the deluxe figures. Um, and as I said, I, I think I keep harping back to this childhood trauma of when I was doing driving trauma. lessons and I sold basically everything. But as an adult, I'm no, kind of kicking what, myself. What are you thinking? I know. Well, I'm kicking myself because then, like in lockdown, when everyone was clinging to something that would make them happy back in 2020, me and my friend Andrew, we started recollecting battles in time cards. And I've now got like three books of battle and time cards that I spent a stupid mm. amount of money in a time when I had no money um, and I feel like I'm mm. just sort of trying to get back to where I was it's so stupid trying to just get back to your former glory I mean the good news is a lot of the Doctor Who collectibles haven't really gone up too much in value you know if you look at something like Lego Lego is such an insanely expensive collector's item mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of it and as soon as something goes off the shelf with Lego, you know this too, because you're a huge Lego fan. Yeah. The the value skyrockets. And oh, Lego, I think at one point was like more valuable than gold as an investment. It was like absurd because you were guaranteed returns to just invest in Lego sets at the point they go off shelves, hold on to them for a few years and sell them again. Mm-hmm. So luckily a lot of Doctor Who stuff has kind of stayed at a kind of affordable level. It we got a bunch at- of battles and time cards. 
and it, they were they were still one pound fifty a pack, and on Amazon. I don't know how they so managed like, that. Nice. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you adjust for inflation, that's that's pretty good. So. I could say a little bit about books in the Doctor Who world. Um, I definitely had the annuals. I was a big annual fan when I was younger. In fact, I don't know if it still is for kids now, but annuals in general were quite a big thing. I used to get the Beano annual and sometimes, you know, when I uh, upgraded, in my view, upgraded to the Dandy annual at one point, which I thought was very cool. You think it was an upgrade to the Dandy? I thought the Dandy was the cool one. There was a few, like, I thought slightly more modern characters in the Dandy versus the Beano. I, th- I don't know which was first, but I always thought it was the Dandy is older. It had, like, a cowboy and stuff. I don't know. Well, I loved um, annuals anyway. Doctor Who annuals were, yeah, clearly a staple from 2005 on for me every Christmas. Mm-hmm. Did you get them? Oh, yeah, for easy gift, I think, from the family. Stupid easy question. Gift. My favourite, favourite Doctor Who book was the shooting scripts. Mm -hmm. And I really, really wish they still released these. So they released all the scripts from series one, like the actual shooting scripts. And some of them are slightly different, I think, to what actually was recorded on screen Mm -hmm. in the end because they, you know, do last minute changes, change on the day. Sometimes the actor doesn't deliver exactly what's written down. So interesting to read them and so much fun. I mean, even as a kid kind of understanding kind of the language around like exterior shots interior shots omitted was a new word that i'd never read before that was kind of suddenly written on the page and it was fun as well just to read along because you can remember the scenes in your head and they had little screen caps from the scenes going down the side did you have that book yeah no i did i i remember going on holiday i remember going on holiday once to somewhere that i knew i wouldn't have wi-fi or access to my doctor who dvds so i brought the shooting scripts book with me so that i could read it before bed as if i was like watching tv (laughs) i love that so much Mm. i was a bad person a few years ago when peter capaldi's first episodes got leaked the scripts and i remember reading those i did read them i read this i've read not too much i think the first five episodes of series eight leaked and i read episodes maybe one and two and controversial i thought the scripts were better than the episodes really (laughs) and when i read the scripts i was like these are incredible this is gonna be bloody funny i can't wait for this and it didn't actually play as well on screen i felt as it was written do you reckon though that you might have let yourself sort of trip yourself up where you set up an image in your head of what you thought it was going to be because you had an understanding so then it could never actually meet what you thought it was going to be in your head probably and i wouldn't recommend that people read leaked scripts generally i think that's probably bad practice i was young don't cancel (laughs) i wouldn't read it now did you know that um all peter capaldi regenerated 10 years ago this this year I hate that fact. Christmas this year will be the 10 year anniversary of Peter Capaldi, the regeneration into Peter Capaldi. That's bizarre. Mm -hmm. That's bizarre. It's so weird. I hate that. I know. The other books I read were the BBC books, Doctor Who stories, so like hardback stories. Oh yeah, I love those. And there was some like The Stone Rose was one I read. I love that one. I listened to The Stone Rose audiobook recently. I found a link and I listened to The Stone Rose audiobook. I used to listen to it all the time. I had the CD as a kid. I also had the book. Um, And David Tennant is reading it and it's actually like a good episode yeah, yeah it's, it's, it would really work well there was one called as well the clockwork man or something like that i think it was one of the first ones they did a ninth mm. doctor story but loads of people in my class like i said like i grew up with doctor who kids all had the doctor who books and we'd all be reading and swapping different ones they were brilliant do you want to hear it like this is just me bringing all my childhood trauma which led to my big purge of doctor who stuff um, I remember in English. This makes me sad. I know. I um, in English lessons, we used to have to do ten minutes of reading before the class. And when I was like maybe four, I would have been about fourteen, maybe going into GCSEs. Um, you could bring in any book you wanted. 
And I remember I used to bring in my hardback Doctor Who books. And my English teacher stopped me one day and she said, you need to stop reading books like that. You need to start reading actual like adult books. Oh, and God. I remember bringing in The Hobbit one day to try and make her happy. And I read a few pages of it and I was like, I'm just not interested in this. I also love how The Hobbit... I'm not into this. Am I into this? Am I not? As well, Jizzy, you, you need to... This is the thing though, right, with reading is that... I think you get this idea pretty early on in life that there's a, a transition point where you need to read kind of more serious literature. Even even being encouraged, I think, to leave behind kind of young adult stories for kind of, you know, more adult books. And I think that attitude puts a lot of people off reading at all mm-hmm. because a lot of a lot of books are I don't know, this is a terrible take. A lot of books are boring. A lot of books aren't good. I and can't I say I disagree. If you create an idea, I think, around the fact that a book is something you almost need to like push through and it needs to be a little bit of a challenge, you remove all the joy of reading. You know, sometimes like adults can access kids' books and get joy out of those. Young adult fiction is very accessible as well. Like this, you know, there's, and there's different ways of like reading stories, right? You might not have books, you might have, you might have the scripts. <laughs> so. But yeah, I remember I had a similar thing in school. They were really angry with me reading. I read a graphic novel once, which was um, like a proper acclaimed graphic novel. I don't remember which one it was. And they didn't like that. Like the the guy, like the English teacher at the time, like really shamed me for it. We were all in the library Mm. and he picked up the book out of my hand because he thought it was a comic and it wasn't. Yeah. And he like took it off me and like to the silent room announced like, you know, you shouldn't be reading books like this. Oh my God. Naughty books like this. Like, this is, you know, this is a naughty book. And I was, like, That's... humiliated as well, because it sounded like I'd been reading, like, erotica. Yeah. And I was, like... It's a graphic what? novel. Like, he was, like, it was, like, go and find a proper one, you know? And it was, like, it, it was so... And the way he did it was bizarre. We all have some odd teachers growing up, right? Yeah, no, for sure. But that's really, anyway. like, like... Like you just said, so, I mean, as an adult, I'll be honest, I've not... I'm not a reader much as an adult. I don't know if it's come from childhood trauma of not being able to read my Doctor Who books, but like, I'm just not a big reader. And I think that you need to let kids read. I think you do need to encourage kids to read higher than their level while they're learning and to like branch out into different stuff and not get too stuck in there. But maybe instead of saying, you can't read that, that's bad book, say, oh, you like that. You might like this similar book. Like that's how you could do Mm. it. Yeah, I don't know when I fell out of love with reading. I think there's a period where I try to force myself to love reading Twilight. Mm. in my mid-teens and I just couldn't get into it no I just couldn't concentrate on it well I mean again in classic uh Sam collecting way um the books that I also really loved in the Doctor Who world were the as I mentioned before trading card books but also the sticker books I don't know if you ever got these when you were growing up every year they used to do like an annual sticker book so I remember the first one was around series two there wasn't tons of merchandise that came out in 2005 I think that the show came out and then they had to quickly get some stuff out for Christmas. So the next year when David Tennant had just regenerated, they released the first sticker book. And I think they did it up until, I, I can't remember if Matt Smith had one going forwards, but um, definitely for, throughout all of David Tennant's era, every year they'd have a different sticker book. Um, and I loved those. I'd like bring them on holiday with me. I would always run the eye out for like the, maybe it was 50p a pack or a pound a pack of stickers. Um, that was something I loved. I didn't get any sticker books, but that sounds adorable. It was. It was very fun, very nice. You might not have collected the sticker books, but I do know that you have an interest in magazines, specifically the current run, well, I say current run, I mean, since the 70s, um, of the Doc 2 magazine. Yeah. Uh, was this something that you got when you were growing up, or did you used to get the thing that I loved, which was the Doc 2 Adventures magazine, obviously aimed at kids, or what, what did you do? I don't think I got the magazines growing up. My staples growing up were the Beano and the Dandy, and that was pretty much all I bought. Mm. Doctor Who... 
Battles in Time cards, I would buy those in Tesco Express, and I love them. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't think I've got the magazines. I've got very into Doctor Who magazine now. I'm a recent subscriber. I think probably it probably saw quite a big influx with their new David Tennant cover that they did, and with Rusty Davies' mm. return because, um, as you know, he he he's a real fan of the magazine and he wants it to be very much a part of the Doctor Who brand. Mm-hmm. And there's that really close link with Doctor Who magazine and kind of sharing updates from the show and behind the scenes news interviews and russell contributes to it quite regularly now as well so um yeah i i love it i mean subscribing to it it's genuinely so exciting as well when it comes now it comes a little late for me at the minute with the raw mail delays but um you get a few kind of sneak peeks in the days before it gets here people start getting their digital collection version Mm, and i see it all over twitter you get like you get great snippets now of like the upcoming series from it and you get the subscriber version I'll say as well. The cover doesn't have any of the writing on it. So you get a nice looking... Oh, I love your subscriber cover. It's so like sexy. It's very sexy. Period. Period. <laughs> Completely. I love it. I, as a kid, I always thought of that as like the adult Doctor Who magazine. That was the one that was more expensive and for grownups. Um, I was a big subscriber of the Doctor Adventures magazine. I remember as a, a kid before Doctor Who came out, I had started buying, they used to do a Wallace and Gromit magazine and oh. I bought like 10 or so issues of that. And then while that was out, they then brought out the Doctor Adventures magazine. And I remember my mum was like, okay, you can buy, you know, you have enough pocket money to buy one of these magazines, but you can't buy both of them. So which one do you want to buy? And I was like, torn between the two mm-hmm. um i think my biggest love before doctor who was wallace and gromit um and so it was a real Ew. it was a real sophie's choice for me <laughs> but then i chose doctor adventure magazine and i collected every single issue of that i i not long after starting to buy that then subscribed as well because it just meant we weren't looking for it um i am a proud owner of a magazine with a drawing of mine in when i was like 11 so i love that one uh, i drew the empress of the rachnos <laughs> and it got in the magazine oh my um, god was it a good drawing? I think so, yeah. I'll need to find it. Next time I go home, I'll find it somewhere. And um, I like to think it was a good one. I remember I kept, so again, in The Great Purge of whatever, I got rid of all of the magazines, um, but I kept the first ever issue because I knew, I was like, I will want this yeah. when I'm older. Yeah. I'm so glad I did. When did that come out? How old is that? Uh, 2006. I remember it was just, I think it was just before Series 2 aired. I think they really did amp up the marketing for series two with David Tennant and everyone. So I remember the cover had the Doctor and Rose on it. And I think maybe a Dalek, I'm not sure, but definitely had the Doctor and Rose and she was wearing her new Earth outfit. But I was an avid uh, subscriber to that. I loved, they used to come with little free gifts. So you'd get little like Dalek figurines or or later in the series, they would have like little weeping angels and they'd have uh, fancy dress clothes. They'd have posters. It was just a really affordable way because when I started subscribing, I think it was like maybe three pounds an issue or something. Uh, it was an affordable mm. way for me to sort of get an insight into Doctor Who, get little toys, and I I just loved it. That's so cute. So cute. On the topic of magazines, I also want to just very quickly mention the ever growing relationship Doctor Who has with the Radio Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Radio Times has actually been going since September nineteen twenty three, and I was like. What were they radio timesing? The TVs hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> the radio. The oh my god! Oh my god! I feel Come on like now. the biggest. <laughs> oh, I actually can't believe I just did that on a recording. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they put it in the radio times if not TV? 
Um, I have a clue. <laughs> Literally like, what did the Radio Times, like, give listings of? TV's had been invented. They were publishing empty, empty papers for years, just waiting oh for some kind of Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I felt like such a twat. Um, yeah, so the Radio that's Times... That's actually so funny about staying in. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's keeping in. Uh, it's been going since the 20s. Uh, this is actually going to mark the 100th year uh, anniversary of the Radio Times and it ever since the show's inception has had a relationship with Doctor Who um, if you actually go on the Radio Times Wikipedia page the profile photo image it has is of Christmas 2005 with the TARDIS in the snow globe um, all throughout Classic Who mm-hmm. they had um, advertisements for Doctor Who there's an iconic cover from the three Doctors where it has William Hartnell Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee where it says which Doctor is who and I think that's really fun but I just remember as a kid, I don't know if you... Did your parents used to get the Radio Times? Uh, my grandma did. That was something that would, like, turn up at Christmas. Mm, you'd get the big, chunky Christmas one. I just remember, like, there was... You could order a Dalek poster with it once that we did. And the big thing that stands with me is in 2006, they released two variant covers for the Radio Times, one with the Daleks on it and one with the Cybermen on it. And the Daleks and the Cybermen Ooh, yeah. each had a football. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, I think football's on, Um, you know, whatever, they're playing football. Doctor Who was such a big thing. It was the World Cup finale, the week of Doomsday being aired, the finale of season it two of Doctor the World Who. World Cup final, <laughs> rather than the World Cup finale. <laughs> it literally was more of a big event for the Radio Times than the World Cup. They had Daleks and Cybermen, two alternate issues, and they each had a football on screen. Like, that was it. This is crazy because I didn't realise the cultural impact as well because we talked about in a previous episode how they screened the season four finale of Doctor Who during london pride in trafalgar square mm-hmm. i was totally unaware of that yeah i guess as well was it almost like have doctor who be as major a tv event as the world cup final mm-hmm. is pretty huge the cultural relevance darling we could only dream the cultural relevance and i think that's sort of not to get too sentimental about it but like the beautiful thing about the show that i think often huge world cup fans and huge attendees of pride events don't have tons of crossover historically i know there are huge queer sports fans and um so many sports fans that love doctor who but i think that the uh, flop between those two things of gay pride and uh the world cup in 2006 probably doesn't have much crossover but the fact that both of those events were altered to cater for the fact that doctor who was on just goes to show like in the mid noughties how big of a cultural relevancy it had and i would love to get back there please (laughs) Oh, yes, please. As with everything we've been discussing, there have been a huge history of different Doctor Who exhibitions all the way through from classic Doctor Who to present day. Uh, the original Doctor Who exhibition was in Blackpool. It was called the Doctor Who Exhibition. I know, shocking. Uh, and it opened on the 9th of April, 1974. It was John Pertwee and Elizabeth Sladen that opened it. Um, it ran until 1985. And the way that you would go into the exhibition was there was a TARDIS on the outside of the building and they wanted to sort of give you the experience of going somewhere bigger on the inside. So the TARDIS doors would open and you would go down a staircase into what was then the exhibition. It was then open every April to October each year and then they would refresh it with new pops and costumes from the TV show from the previous year. Apparently a big part of it that people loved to go there for was that it would feature life-size moving Daleks that would then come up to the audience and threaten to exterminate them. And that was like a big reason people would go and i think that then that link has kind of gone all the way through <laughs> they'd go to for the threat for the danger they'd go for the threat and the danger of being exterminated they went for the thrill people went well exactly <laughs> but i think that that has then stuck through with modern ones i know that all of the recent doctor experiences where you have either in the live theater or in the sort of interactive part before an exhibition 
uh, that is such an immersive part of it. It makes you feel like you're in the show and that's why people love to go. Yeah, I totally agree. I think being up close to the props, it just gives you that feeling suddenly like, you know, seeing something in real life in front of you, something tangible that's kind of close to your face. <laughs> it's just really special. <laughs> Within your reach. And yeah, it's, yeah, that's a much better way of putting it. In your face, in your reach. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what I meant. Um, I mean, the Doctor Who experience, the permanent feature, was running from 2012 to 2017. Hmm. And that existed originally at London Olympia. I think we both went there. Yes, we did. Yes. And that was a great experience. I think you went through a crack in time is how you entered it. And you went through kind of an adventure with the Doctor. You were kind of guided in a group together. You had to get tickets. And um, you go through all these different immersive settings. There's like a TARDIS that you go in and you help pilot it. The Doctor appears on the screen guiding you through different stages, which was Matt Smith at the time. And then you go through sections with the Weeping Angels. There's Daleks at one point as well that kind of break into the room you're in and then they get sent away again by the Doctor. There's all those kind of bits as well. Yeah, I remember loving it. Um, I was surprised at how short of a time it was at London Olympia. Uh, it was only there from the 20th of February 2011 to the 22nd of February 2012. It was like a year contract mm. before then moving to Cardiff. Um, I'm so glad they did do that little spell in London because it just meant that everyone who was south it got a chance to go closer. I don't think my parents would have taken me up to Cardiff to go and see it, but uh, it was amazing. Uh, the interact bit at the beginning, like we were talking about, was such a fun, immersive story. I remember everyone was terrified. There was a bit you had to run through a corridor with Weeping Angels and everyone was so scared. And I I was just like, I, I was right at the back of the pack because I just stayed still because I was looking at them all. I was like, these are so cool. And they were like, okay, no, you have to like mm. come move with us. Um, they you have to you have to run away now you have to run away now uh, there was a little 3d movie which i remember thinking it was cool it was very reminiscent of like the series 5 trailer where matt smith and amy pond are like floating through the vortex um mm -hmm. but yeah it was amazing <laughs> typical me um i loved the gift shop at the end where they had lots of exclusive items uh that you can only get the experience i bought the 11 doctors set which was an action figure set with all of the 11 doctors um and i always wanted i to this day never got it and still want it um an amelia pond mm -hmm. action figure of her from the 11th hour it, it was exclusive to the doctor experience and uh, alas never got it <laughs> Alas. Alas. Yeah, I mean, as well, the Cardiff one I can talk about, they moved it to Cardiff, and unfortunately that has also closed, which is a real shame because it's now just an empty car park. Mm. Um, there's nothing there. I'm not even sure it's a car park. I think it's just, you know, it, there's nothing there. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame because a lot of people who go to Cardiff, I think, still look, especially around the Bay Area, for kind of clues of Doctor Who because it is featured in so many episodes. Like I've said before, it is like kind of going onto a Doctor Who set. The studios where Doctor Who is predominantly filmed, and at least the TARDIS set exists as well as right there in the bbc world studios and um uh, there's yanto shine right shine you can find Yanto's Shrine at kind of what was meant to be the fictional entrance to Torchwood in that area and where a lot of Torchwood was was based around that that area. It was a very natural place for the Doctor experience to be and it was quite an attraction in itself. It was a good reason to kind of go to the Bay was to, to go to the Doctor Who experience and it's a real shame that's not there anymore and I, I'd love to see that come back because in its kind of permanent home there, it was also a, a much bigger experience than mm. it had been previously. You had loads of props and aliens and i guess what was convenient for the bbc as well is if they need any of that stuff back 
they could just take it out and, and ship it very quickly over to the studios, which were just down the road. Well, this is the so thing. So that was very cool. One thing that um, in TV and film I know that we look for a lot is storage after you finish filming a series. So say they finished a certain series Doctor and they might want something back and they don't know. Instead of getting rid of the prop, they'll want to store it somewhere. And if you go somewhere like here, it's not just in a box in a warehouse. It can actually be enjoyed by people and viewed. And like you said, easily accessible if you need it back. Um, I remember being very jealous because I would see that they would always update it. I obviously went, I think it was just before series six aired or maybe like during series, the beginning of series six. And um, I would see then things with Clara, things with the day of the doctor and being so jealous of seeing them all updated. I wonder if them stopping it had anything to do with like the showrunner change because I, I remember that they were still updating the exhibition up until the end of Peter Capaldi's era because like there was the TARDIS with the memorial of Clara on it and things like that I I just would love to see something like that back and we are lucky that we do have things like that now I know that there's the Worlds of Wonder exhibition uh, it was on in Liverpool for a while and now it's currently on in the National Museum of Scotland I believe until the 1st of May so we do have some things but we just can't go all the way up to Edinburgh. It's not It's not easy from London. Well, I mean, it is, but it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, I think it was to do with something like it either wasn't making enough money, it wasn't busy enough, or it probably did coincide actually with the change of showrunner and maybe they just decided it wasn't a good investment anymore. But yeah, it was really nice. And I guess as well, like having props out and on display that you can interact with, I wonder if they were also getting a bit more love than they would have done kind of in a storage container where mm. these things do tend to kind of accumulate damage. Yeah, no, completely. It's less sort of like rough and ready. It's it's a lot more curated and looked after. We'll touch on just a couple of other real experiences that we went to. One that I went to early, early on that you didn't, this was my first experience for Doctor Who exhibition, was actually on Brighton mm -hmm. Pier. That was there from May to November 2005. I have really like distinct memories of this. One is that the kind of opening monsters when you first walked around the exhibition, it was just an exhibition, not an experience. There was no acting. There was no kind of visuals to go with this. Um, you know, no no cameos from the Doctor or anything like that. And they had the Trini and Susanna dolls from oh, the cool. finale as well, up close. And I remember thinking that they were really big and quite imposing and they were kind of posed in a way that was quite frightening. Yeah, so they did a few exhibitions like that. They did them in Blackpool, Cardiff. Um, one more experience I'll talk about as well, which I think was my... I might have, I might have just called... I might have called the Brighton one my favourite experience, in which case I'm going to contradict <laughs> myself. I might have said it was my earliest, in which case, let me say this is my favourite, was the Doctor Who 50th anniversary celebration weekend. And this felt like a massive moment for Doctor Who fans. This was held in the... Oh, I was so devastated I didn't get to go to that. I was It was devastated. massive. So, so in 2013, I was, I think I was about 17 years old. They did a whole weekend in the XL from Friday to Sunday. The Day of the Doctor actually aired on Saturday night. And I think I went on the Sunday... So I think I went after it had aired on TV, mm -hmm. which meant the panel discussion was a bit more fun because they could talk about the things that had been on the TV yeah. last night and they could actually discuss the episode, which was great. Whereas on the Friday, you hadn't seen the episode and they were trying to save you from the spoilers. But they had really great panel <laughs> speakers. They had um, a lot of the classic doctors were in attendance. They had all the staples like Nicholas Briggs, uh, Stephen Moffat and others were there as well. Yeah. They had Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman. I w watched them do a talk together. Um, and it was huge. Like the, the venue was massive. So the scale of it felt 
huge mm. like being there was amazing i really do hope i've not been able to go to any of those kind of comic-con events and i really do think especially now doing hula la like we've gotten to know a lot more of the sort of online doctor community i feel and i would love to get to go and meet people and see panels and stuff in real life especially sort of around the 60th um much as i was devastated i didn't get to go to that i was thrilled because both of us together both separately and together got to go to the uh recent doctor time fracture sort of live theater event uh, this ran from the 26th of May 2021 to the 5th of June 2022. Am I right in saying that they ended it early? Yes, they did. They did end it early. I think it wasn't quite doing great financially. It was hammered by COVID. The venue got flooded a few times. Uh, a number of things went wrong. In the end, we went quite a few times because <laughs> the tickets got quite heavily discounted on things like Today Ticks. But I loved it. My sister went like several times <laughs> and uh she went on her own once or twice just because she wanted to complete every storyline she went and like individually went well that's it. the thing the usp of it was they were like come back as many times as you want because you'll never have the same experience twice different every time it was good i think i think the rumor is it's gonna be moving i don't think it's finished i think it's gonna find a new home i hope so i hope that other people get to do it and i, and I do like with things like these exhibitions and live theater events when they move around it does mean that different people get the opportunity to go which i like Sam, to round us off, I'd like you to talk to me about a handful of your favourite obscure pieces of Doctor Who merch, and I'm going to rate them, whether they're camp or damp. Camp or damp? Camp or damp. So there's probably way more obscure things than this, and I would love to know if you guys have anything that you think is hilarious, obscure Doctor Who merchandise. Um, one of the things that I would like to put forward for camp or damp is the action figure that was released for Grandma Connolly, I believe is her name. She's the grandma from The Idiot's Lantern, where she was her little old lady self, and then her when she had her face sucked off by the wire. Nice. A faceless elderly lady. Mm-hmm. Camp. 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 One of the ones I'd love to put forward is a Dapol action figure from 1980s they made of canine where they painted a lovely canine green. Okay, they, sorry, it's painted green. They painted him green. Damp. Mm-mm, damp. Damp. Final one I would love to put forward for you is the trading card from Battles in Time of the vendor from the episode Gridlock yeah. selling drugs to, sorry, not drugs, yeah. emotions uh, to <laughs> the Doctor and Rose. And if memory serves me correctly, I think yeah. the cards are named something like Vendor 1, Vendor 2, Vendor 3. The, ven the drug vendor? The drug vendors. The drug vendors. Camp. Camp. The emotion vendors. Camp. 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 Camp all the way. I mean, all the Battles of Time cards are camp. Super Rose is camp as hell. Alistair, thank you so much for coming with me on this journey of Who Media, uh, memories and merchandise. I loved it so much. I'm looking at a, a stack of Battles in Time cards on my desk right now as we speak. So, I mean, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I've loved it. And I think we need to do this again sometime. Me too. I, I love it so much. But I definitely want to do some videos when this Dalek eventually comes. We'll drive around the flat together. I think it'll be lovely. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us or comment on Instagram, both at Pod. Let us know, what Doctor Who merch did you grow up with? What were your favourite things? What are some obscure merchandise that we might not have heard of? Uh, I want to hear about your experiences at The Experiences. The weird, the wonderful, the camp, and even the damp. I want to hear about the damp as well. See you next week, my loves. Bye. Bye. Bye.